Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. I was so fortunate and blessed to host Muhammad Hijab and Hamza Tortoise, two world-renowned callers to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was a great fortune and blessing because uh, these are fellow callers to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, people who are inspired and inspiring. They have a mission and they are on a mission, subhanAllah. It is to make the world convinced of Islam. That's the mission. It says that on the Sapiens Institute website at sapiensinstitute.org, our vision, a world convinced of Islam. And subhanAllah, this is really what I felt within them. And it was indeed very inspirational. So we managed to speak about two issues primarily with a few funny bits in between and uh, them, you know, expressing themselves. But the two bits that we spoke about specifically was their observations of South Africa and the community and how we can benefit from what's happening uh, internationally because it's coming here and it's growing here. And also uh, the Institute, the Sapiens Institute, which was, subhanAllah, very beneficial to hear about and know about. I believe that we can really benefit. Do check out the Sapiens Institute because they really do a good job at professionally packing in everything you need to know about uh, the contemporary challenges that we face of the modern world. And they do it systematically. They do it uh, in a way that can take you from stage to stage professionally. But the mission is really the objective. So you can be part of that mission by going to sapiensinstitute.org and also by sharing this podcast, liking it, commenting below. At the end of the day, we all just want to have a world convinced of Islam. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Jazakumullah khairan for joining us. Assalamu alaikum. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man istanna bi sunnatihi ila yawmiddin amma ba'du. Rabbi shrahli sadri wa yassirli amri wa hlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu kawli. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban bikum. I welcome you all to our podcast and with me today is our very special guest, Ustaz Muhammad Hijab. Ahlan wa sahlan bikum. Kafa halikum. Alhamdulillah wa khair. Not bad. MashaAllah, uh, it is a privilege and a pleasure to have you here with us in Cape Town, South Africa and also here at the East Night Academy uh, studio for this podcast episode, Bi'idhnillah uh, Ta'ala. If I could kindly request, we start the podcast off with some recitation of the Qur'an, inshaAllah Ta'ala. Yeah, no problem at all, inshaAllah. Okay. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ألف لام ذلك الكتاب لا ريب فيه هدى للمتقين الذين يؤمنون بالغيب ويقيمون الصلاة ومما رزقناهم ينفقون والذين يؤمنون بما أنزل إليك وما أنزل من قبلك وبالآخرة هم يوقنون أولئك على هدى من ربهم وأولئك هم المفلحون إن الذين 
كفروا سواء عليهم أأنذرتهم أم لم تنذرهم لا يؤمنون ختم الله على قلوبهم وعلى سمعهم وعلى أبصارهم غشاوة ولهم عذاب عظيم ومن الناس من يقول آمنا بالله ومن يوم الآخر وما هم بمؤمنين يخادعون الله والذين آمنوا وما يخدعون إلا أنفسهم وما يشعرون في قلوبهم مرض فزادهم الله مرضا ولهم عذاب أليم بما كانوا يكذبون وإذا قيل لهم لا تفسدوا في الأرض قالوا إنما نحن مصلحون ألا إنهم هم المفسدون ولكن لا يشعرون وإذا قيل لهم آمنوا كما آمن الناس قالوا أنؤمن كما آمن السفهاء ألا إنهم هم السفهاء ولكن لا يعلمون وإذا لقوا الذين آمنوا قالوا آمنا وإذا خلوا إلى شياطينهم قالوا إنا معكم قالوا إنا معكم إنما نحن مستهزئون الله يستهزئ بهم ويمدهم في طويانهم يعمهم مثلهم كمثل الذي استوقد نارا فلما أضاءت ما حوله ذهب الله بنورهم ذهب الله بنورهم وتركهم في ظلمات لا يبصرون صم بكم عمي فهم لا يرجعون أو كصيب من السماء فيه ظلمات ورعد وبرق يجعلون أصابعهم في آذانهم من الصواعق حذر الموت والله محيط بالكافرين يكاد البرق يخطف أبصارهم كلما أضاء لهم مشوا فيه وإذا أظلم عليهم قاموا ولو شاء الله لذهب بسمعهم وأبصارهم إن الله على كل شيء قدير يا أيها الناس عبدوا ربكم الذي خلقكم والذين من قبلكم لعلكم تتقون الذي جعل لكم الأرض فراشا والسماء بناء وأنزل من السماء ماء فأخرج به من الثمرات رزقا لكم 
فلا تجعلوا لله أندادا وأنتم لا تعلمون وإن كنتم في ريب مما نزلنا على عبدنا فأتوا بسورة من مثله فأتوا بسورة من مثله ودعوا شهداءكم من دون الله إن كنتم صادقين فإن لم تفعلوا ولن تفعلوا فاتقوا النار التي وقودها الناس والحجارة أعدت للكافرين وبشر الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات أن لهم جنات تجري من تحتها الأنهار كلما رزقوا منها من ثمرة رزقا قالوا هذا الذي رزقنا من قبل وأتوا به متشابها ولهم فيها أزواج مطهرة وهم فيها خالدون إن الله لا يستحي أن يضرب مثلا ما بعوضة فما فوقها فأما الذين آمنوا فيعلمون أنه الحق من ربهم وأما الذين كفروا فيقولون ماذا أراد الله بهذا مثالا يضل به كثيرا ويهدي به كثيرا وما يضل به إلا الفاسقين الذين ينقضون عهد الله من بعد ميثاقه ويقطعون ويقطعون ما أمر الله به أن يوصل ويفسدون في الأرض أولئك هم الخاسرون كيف تكفرون بالله وكنتم أمواتا فأحياكم ثم يميتكم ثم يحييكم ثم إليه ترجعون هو الذي خلق لكم ما في الأرض جميعا ثم استوى إلى السماء فسواهن سبع سماوات وهو بكل شيء عليم وإذ قال ربك للملائكة إني جاعل في الأرض خليفة قالوا أتجعل فيها من يفسد فيها ويسفك الدماء ونحن نسبح بحمدك ونقدس لك قال إني أعلم ما لا تعلمون ما شاء الله أحسن الله إليكم تقبل الله منا ومنكم Let's see the video Blessed tone for the podcast, alhamdulillah. Allah bless yeah. and accept. Thank you so much. Sayyidi Al-Habib, how would you introduce yourself to our listeners? I know everybody in the world, all the Muslims, mashallah, they're familiar sure. with your, your work and your YouTube channel. But let's say you were meeting us for the first time and we were from another planet, but we were Muslim as well. 
and we wanted to start a friendship with yourself and you'd introduce yourself as a friend. What would you tell us about Muhammad Hijab? Say, look, uh, I'm Muslim. My name is Muhammad Hijab, Muslim, uh, Sunni Muslim, and, you know, have three children, married, and uh, I do dawah work, you know, preaching the religion of Islam. We try and do it intellectually as well, rationally and stuff like that, with a focus on, on that. Um, and reclaiming the narrative for the Muslim people. But generally speaking, what I am is Muslim da'ya. That's really what it is. No. Barakallahu feekum. So in the work of da'wah, Sayyidi al-Habib, um, you must have come across many challenges, many misconceptions about Islam and you know people having their own ideas and thoughts, especially in consideration of the time that we are living in and uh, your own specific context, your country where you come from and so forth. What are some of the most surprising or uh, incredible challenges and misconceptions that you found people have and how have you managed to combat them? It's not, there isn't any surprises. There aren't any surprises anymore relate, uh, because in relation to like what the interrogations people have against Islam, mm. it's actually verging on boring now. <laughs> the, the repeated, you know, no. regurgitated, uh, you know, you could say misconceptions of Islam they're repeated um, and they're usually linked to morality in some way, shape or form. Mm. It's because the person who's asking has a different moral view mm. and they're already, they're already assuming the superiority of their worldview. And so they're asking on that paradigm and they're asking, for example, about the punitive laws of Islam. No. Or they will ask about, for example, some of the eschatological points, for example, heaven and hell. How can you have a hell? Mm. They can ask about uh, the Prophet's own life and especially his marriages and these kind of mm. things. You've heard this kind of thing. So these are the kinds of interrogations which we have heard time and time again. And if there's no surprises from that perspective because wherever you go in the world, I've been in many different countries, spoken to many different people, you find the same questions. I mean, it's no surprise at all. No. And this is your first time in South Africa, isn't it, though? Yes. It is. Okay. How are you finding it so far? Mm. Alhamdulillah, it's very beautiful. Um, Cape Town's beautiful and to Johannesburg. There are some very picturesque and scenic, um, you know, mountainous uh, mm. regions here. And very fortunate with the weather as well. I mean, you guys consider this to be wintertime here in the, no. in the summer everywhere else, but there's still a lot of sunshine. It's still very good weather. So mm. you're fortunate. I mean, obviously there are disadvantages of living in somewhere like South Africa. Um, economic disadvantage, load shedding, uh, you know, criminal disadvantage, violence, mm. but the advantages for the Muslim community are a lot, mm. a lot as well. So, no. like anything in life, you're always going to have advantages and disadvantages. Mm. What, what exactly do you find to be advantageous as far as uh, the privileges of this Muslim community here in this country? I think the main advantages that Muslim communities face in South Africa, which they don't in the West, is the ability to actually espouse their own views mm. without reprimand, especially in schools and other institutions. It's no. clear that, for example, in England, we have something called Ofsted, which is, Ofsted um, is um, kind of, I don't know, it's an agency which inspects schools to see what their rating is and stuff like that. So let's say, for instance, you have private Islamic schools, which you do have in Britain, for, for instance. They would be under immense scrutiny because one of the criterion for, say, Ofsted is uh, whether or not a school is in line with fundamental British values. And you. Yeah, so which includes, of course, uh, tolerance, inclusivity, which have their own loaded, mm. you know, ideological presupposition. So it's very difficult for, 
you know, Muslims who have a different kind of morality to always fulfill the criterion. Mm. So that's one aspect. Here, obviously, you can say the constitution, the South African constitution in many ways, allows a greater scope of individual freedom now because of the apartheid backdrop. I mean, obviously, mm. it's been 30 years since the apartheid government has been no. um, kind of eradicated and the APC has taken power. So what you have now is a, it's more of a kind of a corrective from a constitutional perspective, which allows people, uh, f for example, in the Muslim community to be more tightly knit. That is what's happened in many parts of that I've seen in uh, Johannesburg and Pretoria. Even in Cape Town, there's really tight knit communities with institutions and uh, with hierarchies and all these kind of things. And mm. that is an advantage, no doubt. Obviously, there are disadvantages within that because th there are kind of, um, let's say, alienated uh, groups within the Muslim community and stuff like that, which need to be incorporated in mm. the Muslim community. But, um, and that needs to be addressed. However, there are many advantages. Uh, other advantages include, but not limited to, for example, owning guns. I mean, you can you can have a license and carry a gun in, mm. from my understanding. And this kind of thing is actually quite surprising because, um, I, I mean, if I was in South Africa, I would definitely own a gun. And a lot of people make the kind of... Um, you know, excuse that it's a long process to get the, the license mm. and all this kind of stuff. You cannot be put at a disadvantage. Mm. You know, if other people have done it, then you have to do it as well because you're putting yourself at a significant disadvantage if you're not being armed in a country where the constitution allows you to be armed. Mm. Uh, because that means you're walking in the street, someone could be carrying and have done all the paperwork for that and and you're not carrying and, the, and therefore you're, you're in an asymmetrical position. So the Muslim community should um, do that and You've got things like hunting, mm. like, you know, going out and hunting, uh, things like, um, you know, even even slaughtering an animal. I mean, in mm. England, we can't slaughter an animal. Ajim. Yeah, even Eid al-Adha? No, we're not allowed Ajim. to. So, I mean, uh, they used to be able to do it in some places, and, mm. but no, you can't do this kind of thing anymore. England's become quite restricted for Muslim communities, actually, yeah. in, in some ways. Mm. And in Europe, England, for example, the United Kingdom, is probably one of the best places to be, actually. Mm. From my experience, it really is one of the best in terms of freedoms. Compare it with this almost next door neighbor, France, which mm. which look at what's going on there. There's no doubt that living as a Muslim in somewhere like London or Birmingham or Bradford is so much more advantageous than living mm. in Paris or somewhere else. Mm. No doubt about that. And you could argue that it's more advantageous for some people to live in places like London than somewhere like Cape Town because of the violence and load shedding and the economic situation. Or you could argue, depending on what you're used to, the opposite because of, like I've just mentioned, some of the advantages on the other side. But it's uh, it's interesting, and there are advantages and disadvantages, mm. but one has to be weary of them. Mm. I actually find that, uh, that it's a very interesting point. I actually find that often people who immigrate to other countries from Cape Town or from South Africa, based on the same you know issues that you kind of highlighted mm. there, uh, they, they often don't necessarily take into consideration these factors. You know, while mm. you're giving up, some of the uh, the disadvantages you're also accepting the disadvantages of the place that you're going to exactly like another point is adhan on the yeah, only many of the masajid they can put adhan and even outside in the streets and stuff no, like that could no. i know there have been some controversies surrounding this topic mm. and stuff, but for the most part this is something which is not tolerated in in britain mm. i mean there's probably one, one masjid in the whole of london which i know which is east london mosque which does that mm. and that's a big point to be honest with you to to have a child which like if you have a family, mm. to have a child which is exposed to the adhan, they, they can hear it on a daily basis. It's it's a lot psychologically, actually. It's, pro it's probably going to really enforce their beliefs psychologically. Mm. Mm. 
So if you live in a Muslim area or next to a mosque here, you might, you're walking on the road, you'll be able to hear the adhan. Mm. Unless there's, you're on one of the very special roads in Tower Hamlets or so maybe Bradford or somewhere else where they've gotten very special permission. Mm. In, in England, you don't have that, for example. In America, you don't have that. In Canada, you don't have that. Right. And of course, uh, one of the main things in Canada and America and England and all these places is that you have the LGBT lobby mm. um, and forced liberalism especially with children young people is uh, is much more is much more prof- is much more pushed down your throat i mean it's I mean. Much, yeah it's much more encroaching i would say mm. uh, than it is here now that doesn't mean to say south africa just because it's not at the level or the lobby is not as strong or even though they say cape town is the pride capital of the world that's a different story in terms of children and forcing a curricula mm-hmm. on them or forcing curricula on them it's not as um, encroaching here in South Africa, from my understanding. Yet. Yet. Mm. That's the point. In 10 years' time, it could be different mm. because mm. we don't know what the forces at play are. No. And so, I was actually thinking you know, last night, uh, both yourself and Ustad Hamza, you made an interesting point that one of the uh, one of the points of advice you gave was that we should be consciously you know, watching what's happening in the West with an eye of uh, perception, with an eye of learning from the mistakes of others and from the lessons of others, which was a good point. Um, I also find that sometimes we we watching the West a bit too closely and often taking the mistakes on you know by by learning. Um, but what specifically should should we as a community adopt now in the early stages that could perhaps have been done differently there with a greater level of success? I think one of the main antidotes for most problems is knowledge. I mean, mm. education, 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 and mm. the, the kind of knowledge I'm proposing very specifically is a mic blend, a careful blend of Islamic knowledge on the one hand, no. which you guys have institutions for and all that kind of thing, but with a focus on understanding the meanings, for example, of the Quran, not just memorizing it. No. Understanding what you're saying, the, the, the deep meanings of the creedal aspects of the Islamic uh, position. Mm. And then on the other hand as well, we need to teach ideologies just like you would teach other religions. Mm. Like when you're... When a child of, say, a Muslim parent asks them what do Christians believe in, usually a Muslim parent at any level doesn't have a problem answering that question. Mm. Say, okay, they believe Jesus is God. He, they believe he was the son of God. They believe this, and that's why they're wrong, and they believe in the Trinity, and that's why they're wrong. I mean, at any level, a Muslim can say this. We need to be in a position in South Africa and England, America and Canada, and anywhere else which is English-speaking, Australia and New Zealand, all of these places and, you know, even in the in the European countries, which English is a second language, for mm. example, Holland and Norway and Sweden, the Scandinavian countries and all those kinds of countries, we need to be in a position and the rest of the world, the Muslim mm. countries. We need to be in a position where we are, where we can, a parent can say to a child, okay, the liberal religion is effectively the religion X, Y, and Z, which you're going to say, for example, it's a religion where these people worship their own desires so long as they don't harm anybody else. Mm. Effectively, that's what their religion is. Mm. Or it's a religion where, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good, I think that's a good story. You worship your own desires so long as you don't harm anyone else. And then they, they're confused, oh dear child, about what harm is mm. because they, they don't know how to define it. For example, is it communal harm? Is it individual harm? Mm. Uh, what, what counts as harm? What doesn't count as harm? No. And so they've only adopted this position because there's nothing else and they can't prove their position. Yeah. I mean, you can say that in one minute. You can say that in 30 seconds. But if parents understand that liberalism is effectively now a new religion of the West, mm. it's the replacement religion for Christianity. Mm. And it's more of a threat to Islam and Muslims than Christianity is. No, or like, ever was. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if ever. I mean, that's a good question. But for example, thirty years ago, Ahmad Didat, the late one, he, Masha Allah, you know, 
really took out the sledgehammer, the intellectual sledgehammer against Christianity. Mm. Now, because Christianity was a missionary threat to Islam and its no, populations, no. Say, now the situation has completely changed. What is a missionary yeah. threat is liberalism. So mm. we need to have the same zeal and approach to liberalism and liberal ideas, including LGBTQ ideas and stuff no. like that, which, which are almost always, you know, at least justified through some kind of social liberal you know mm. paradigm mm. we need to be able to um build the infrastructure to respond to this mm. so uh, alhamdulillah we've had our introduction to our first guest uh, ustad muhammad hijab all the way from london uh, a well-known speaker da'i uh, to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, and uh, an activist in many senses of the word may allah increase and accept his efforts and may it be a means of illumination for all and Sandri to lead us from the darkness to the light. I mean, I mean, and we also have uh, in studio Ustad Hamza Tutis. Tutti. Hello, and welcome. We're going to Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. كيف حالكم؟ الحمد لله. الحمد لله. With us also as my co-host for this uh, special podcast episode, we have my dear friend and colleague Maulana Dr. Yusuf Patel. Hello, and welcome. Welcome, Doctor. Shukran for having me. But I think more importantly, we're just excited and happy to have our guest here in Cape Town, Ustad Hamza and Ustad uh, Muhammad. So, ahlan wa to Cape Town. And uh, so far, I believe for the tour from Johannesburg and Cape Town, it's been well received. And I think more importantly, people are taking much from the public discourses no. in terms of consolidating discussions and, you know, just touching base in terms of how we can benefit from the experiences in in the UK specifically. So alhamdulillah, we're grateful for their presence here in Cape Town. Barakallah fikum and jazakumullah khairan for joining us as well. Kif halikum? Alhamdulillah. This is not your first time in uh, Cape Town, South Africa. Mm. You've been here before. I believe so, yes. Yeah. What's your top three facts about the community in South Africa? I think the community is a close-knit community. Mm-hmm. You have used the current political and social and economic structures to the benefit of yourselves as individuals and as, an, as, and as a community. No. You have, especially in Joburg and Durban, you have very good infrastructure concerning Islamic schools, masajid, mm. Islamic educational institutions like the Dara Ulum and so on and so forth. You have a good hierarchy where you respect the ulama and the elders. And... The ulama here, especially those who are engaged in higher Islamic learning, seem to be very cultured, very cultured. Like mm. we know things about postmodernism and liberalism and atheism and ilm al-kalam and theophilosophical issues that we're addressing. For example, mm. me and Muhammad Hijab were in the car and the top sheikh was driving the car. And what, see, what I have realized as well, and I was speaking to sheikh, uh, Molana Yahya just now and he was basically like almost apologizing that things may not be as what we expect I was like what are you talking about this mm. is fantastic mm. we are driven around we, we've been driven around by ulama mm. ulama have been at service to us and I said this is it should be the other way around mm. and we are not deserved of this in any shape or form and it's a immensely humbling experience mm. And the reason I mention this as well from a South African point of view is that your ulama are cultured intellectually, but also spiritually. Inshallah. And I think that is one of the things that I've realized, generally speaking, about the ulama in South Africa and maybe the ulama 
who are products of the Dar ulum structures or educational institutes, I found them to be extremely, extremely authentically and organically humble to the degree that it evokes humility from the person that's interacting with them. Because states of being give rise to states of being. Passion gives birth to passion. Love gives birth to love. Humility gives rise to humility. And uh, I'm very, very impressed. I'm uh, very impressed. And it's actually a huge blessing. And I remember Ustad Muhammad Hijab was mentioning this yesterday or the day before that this is a huge blessing because we don't have this stuff in the West, mm. really. Like there's a breakdown of the social hierarchies to a certain degree. People don't really respect ulama like they respect them here. And maybe some of the ulama may not be cultured from the point of view they have the ilm, but they don't have the understanding of the reality on the ground, like mm. the ideological trends. And also you have the dominant ideological frame, which is like in the backdrop. People don't even realize it, which is feminism and liberalism. Yeah, especially feminism is when, it, when it affects our um, you know, s- social and communal well-being. Mm. You don't have that here. Mm. And that is a huge blessing. And you have the freedom and the liberty to, at this stage of, you know, the South African, I don't know, history or whatever you want to call it, that you you can use this freedom to the advantage of the Muslim community. Mm. May Allah preserve everybody and uh, grant the Muslim community huge success. Okay, so let's tie in the points together. On the one hand, we spoke about the the lessons that South African Muslims should take and learn by observing, you know, what the West is doing, what they have been doing. I personally feel we've been doing a bit too much of that and that's why we landed in the problems we are in currently. Um, But be that as it may, so now we find ourselves in a space where we can actually learn from what's working and what's not working as far as the response to contemporary challenges facing, you know, Muslims in the modern setting. Um, So now in the South African context, how how do you, from your perspective, Ustad Hamza, how do you see us as a community developing in the best way forward? You know, what are the what are the steps that we could take right now, from uh, from all levels, like from the level of the scholars, from the level of the general public, from the level of parents? What are the basic steps that you'd recommend that we take? That's a very good question. I know. Look. The caveat here is I'm not an expert on these issues, so these are just my kind of intuitive insights. Mm. But one thing, just from experience and being involved in the DAO for maybe over 15 years and managing organizations, what I really believe needs to happen is preservation Mm. and outreach. Mm. These are the two things you need to focus on. So preserving what you have, preserving the iman of the community and the essential, you know, social and moral hierarchies and structures and systems you have in place and improving them as well mm. and at the same time going out there and giving da'wah mm. which is extremely important because if you really think about it and Ustad Hijab Muhammad Hijab makes this claim very well this point very well you have to see all these competing ideologies as religions mm. and you need to understand that religions and ideologies are self-preserving Mm. Meaning they want to dominate And we see this with liberalism for example mm. Like what is the you know, The UN The Universal Declaration of Human Rights is a, It's a liberal project mm. Right Like Professor John Chave makes this very clear in his book On that topic A professor from London School of Economics I don't know if he's still alive I'm not sure But yeah, he He's be- still alive yeah. yeah he's still alive He's old though isn't he I had the email correspondence with him I think um, 
about two years ago, unless he died since then. He was in France actually when I spoke to him. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, he makes that claim that it's it's a liberal conception of human rights with regards mm. to how they're framed, mm -hmm. the the philosophical basis, and how they're prioritized. Right? They're not universal because mm. it's, it's a liberal project. Mm. Fine, we believe in human rights too. We believe in rights. We have hukuk al-ibad, for example. Mm. But that's from a divine command perspective from the lenses of the Qur'an and the Sunnah with our own theophilosophical foundation. Anyway, mm. notwithstanding, that's just an example that this has been projected onto the world. right? Yeah. And we see this with the LGBTQ plus ideology as well. Notwithstanding its inherent contradictions and, and conflicts, which they already appreciate but don't care. Mm. Um, they have an ideological worldview that they want to push all around the world, even in South Africa. Mm. So ideologies, or if you want to call them, you know, religions, mm -hmm. they want to self-preserve and they want to propagate themselves. Yeah. So if that's the case, we need a shield. And the shield is preserving the iman of the community, intellectually, spiritually, and socially, and the structures that you have. But at the same time, Giving dawah Because dawah is a shield in my view Because if you're not giving dawah Someone's giving dawah to you mm. You're gonna You know I just had a mentoring meeting With someone who's Technically Basically left Islam Why? Because That individual Has been infected with a Postmodern And liberal perspective of, or Perspective uh, On life And because he's a product Of, of his environment mm. Academic Social And professional Right And We have a Job to do in terms of preserving what we have And also at the same time Giving dawah mm. And now the question is how That's the important question It's easy to say what to do But I think the art of wisdom Is to ask the other question Which is well how are we going to do that How yeah. are we going to preserve Our structures, our community Our institutions, the iman The conviction of uh, our community And how are we going to now Go out there and give dawah mm. What are we going to do in a South African context? And that's an important question because <clears throat> we have to be wise about it because dawah is essentially what are the pillars of dawah? The it's wisdom and 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 goodness. Mm. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is you have an Allah-centric goal that is pleasing to Allah, or a goal that is necessary for your progression, that is conducive to the pleasure of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and mm. you apply your ilm. In a particular context to achieve that goal mm. So there's more questions you need to ask Well what is the ilm I'm going to be using And what is the context mm. And that is a very very important question Which we miss sometimes The context is very very key mm. So we have to apply our ilm And we refer to the ulama We refer to the elders And then we have to also understand What is the context So mm. what is a Af South African context you have to understand the ideological trends here. You have to understand the political situation. You have to understand its history. You have to understand the culture, maybe. You have to understand its people. Um, even in fiqh, we have this kind of uh, principle, which is determinative in fiqh, which is urf, right? Mm -hmm. social custom. There's so many things that you'd have to bring it together through shura, through consultation. Yes, there are some global patterns that you could assess, but there's also a, a key South African context that needs to be addressed mm. and assessed as much as possible. And when you apply your ilm in that context and you have the Allah-centric goal, then I think you'll be getting some answers. So I can't give you the answers because mm -hmm. with all due respect, I'm not, an, I'm not a South African mm -hmm. and I don't know the particular context. But I do think that if you apply some of these ideas in this way, there's going to be some fruition. But at the same time, 
because there are kind of natural patterns, if you like, of the dower and ideological trends, you can see what's happening in the UK, in America, and you learn lessons from this in terms of maybe key arguments, key principles, certain lessons learned. Like, mm. you know, my background is program and project management. And what you do when you finish a project, you have a lessons learned exercise. Mm -hmm. And that's what you need to do. What are the lessons learned from the DAO projects, if you like, in the UK, in the West? And you see how these ideologues and ideologies have been trying to permeate the hearts and minds of Muslims and, 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 and non-Muslims. And you learn certain key lessons that you could apply in your particular context. But mm -hmm. again, you still need to understand your context. Yeah. Mm. So these are some of the key indicators or areas of things that the South African community probably need to be thinking about. I don't like giving answers because yeah. I don't know the context, mm. you see. Mm. Yeah, yeah no, it's sometimes just really great to get an outsider's perspective. It gives you like a bit of fresh eyes on, on the whole thing. I mean, sometimes yeah. you're watching a, a particular soccer team, for example, for so long. But that you're blinded to their to their own flaws or to their own weaknesses, and then you get you know a coach coming and he just starts off and he sees all these things because he's been watching from the sideline. So it's really great. Jazakum uh, for sharing that. Allah accept and may we actually take the the lessons uh, quite seriously because sometimes we underestimate the challenges that we face. Um, we think it oh it's not going to get that bad over here, you mm -hmm. know. And well, uh, yeah. yeah, we become passive or docile in no. terms of our comforts within our communities. But I think the point that you made earlier, Sheikh or Ustad Hamza, in terms of what you've noted in South Africa with the Muslims institutions, sorry, <coughs> you've you've seen sort of that um, institutional stability and that respect for scholarship within South Africa. And that's definitely assisted the Muslim community mm. in holding their ground, not being affected by all these competing ideologies that have affected Muslims around the world. Without a doubt, it, uh, they are affecting us, but not necessarily as much as other places. Sure. But I think what's important is to, 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 to understand that history that, you know, with m the, the, the Islamic legacy within South Africa spanning for 400 years, Muslim scholars would come to South Africa as slaves initially mm. and then during colonial years. But their focus was always on preserving Islam at the very base level, right? And even if that meant that the material welfare wasn't necessarily taken care of, and we saw that from the time of slaves coming from the Indonesian, Malaysian archipelago, we saw that during colonial years, um, and we saw that during apartheid as well, that the focus was always within the Muslim community at least mm -hmm. to preserve deen. Yes. Maybe not necessarily being able to understand the various ideologies at that time, but they felt that preservation was important first and foremost. And from there, you now would be able to springboard to what you would be facing at a later point. But I think living in a globalized world, it's important that we're able to take lessons from various institutions and from various individuals like yourself. And I think what's important for us perhaps to discuss today is your institution, Sapiens Institute. Yes. And to give us maybe insight in terms of why it was established and what we within South Africa can benefit from and how we can build collaborative links. Because I think synergy in this current world is very critical amongst Muslim groups. 100%. So the history of Sapiens, so I was the CEO of IERA, which was known as the Islamic Education and Research Academy, but then they just mm -hmm. branded as IERA. So I inherited IERA. I was forced to become the CEO. I actually wasn't given an option. So I did istikhara, spoke to the family and I said, okay, I need to do this. So I was thrown in that environment and alhamdulillah by the will and mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and having a great team 
we increase our funds by 500%, operations by 1,000%, establish the necessary best practice, compliance, process, procedures, and systems in order for IO to continue its great success. Then after just under three years, there was a strategy change where the board didn't want to focus on intellectual academic mm -hmm. issues. They wanted to focus on the developing world like Philippines, Far East, and Africa. And I moved on and I was advised to take the great work that was happening because we built great relations with imams from different backgrounds to training them on atheism and all of these other issues. And they said, why don't you create an organization that would actually fill a necessary gap in the Dao, which is to train and empower other people to be able to share Islam academically and intellectually. So I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. I didn't want to just create another organization mm -hmm. or we didn't want to create another organization and institute because... Ustad Mohammed Ijab is the co-founder We don't want to create another institution Just to repeat what other people are doing Yeah. So the art of Dawa is to do a health check analysis To find out, okay, what's working Whatever is working If it's necessary for the Dawa For the pleasure of Allah to repeat it, repeat it If it's not, then support it and make Dawa for it If there's something unhealthy in the Dawa Then make it healthy as best as you can mm -hmm. If there's a gap in the Dawa Fill the gap mm. And that's a very important health check analysis to do Because it makes you Driven by ikhlas Because mm -hmm. sometimes you just reinvent the will Okay but have you asked the question Is that the best thing to do for the dawah mm -hmm. No it's not Well do the thing that's the best thing If you have ikhlas If you want to please Allah If you want Allah's word to be the high, highest You want to optimize the dawah Then you should be asking some critical questions What does yeah. Allah want from me in this particular context So our So I even called a famous institute uh, One of the research directors And said look this is what we're going to do I don't want us to have any overlaps We're just going to focus on, you know, we're sharing Islam academically and intellectually as a team, but also training others to do so as well, mm -hmm. which is a massive gap because that's a gap in the kind of Western Dawa, right? That specific training and development of those individuals. So mm -hmm. that's what we, we started to do. And then Sapiens Institute is an organization that has a vision that basically is a world that is convinced of Islam. And our specific strategic focus is to share Islam academically and intellectually as a team and empower individuals and organizations to achieve that as well. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have a learning platform. I think we have over 8,000 students on the learning platform, 13 in-depth courses. We have another eight in-depth courses coming out, ranging from atheism, liberalism, Christianity, Christology, Islamic civilization, advanced Dawa, doubts. We have the Londonia exam on there mm -hmm. as well that was designed by Ustad Muhammad Hijab. We have books on doubts. We have books on atheism, books on theophilosophical issues, on divine perfection. Everything we do is generally free. And this is the work that we do. And that's why we're in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And the South, South African uh, tour is connected to our vision and to our strategy. We, we wouldn't really do it otherwise. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that's why you need to have a focus. Because we trained around 300 imams on LGBTQ+, mm -hmm. on liberalism, on liberal versus secular versus Islamic ethics. Mm -hmm. We have been giving uh, lectures related to these type of topics to touch, move and inspire people so they can continue the journey. And we are also doing this to help Mulana Owais and mm -hmm. his team because he has taken it upon himself to actually Mashallah. engage in this sphere and this domain of dawah all around South Africa. Mm -hmm. So it's also supporting him and creating a relationship with him and other Mashiach, including yourselves, so we could work together to push things forward as best as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and that is all in line with our strategy and our vision because we want to help train and develop other people to be able to, be able to share Islam academically and intellectually. 
if that could be private training that could be part getting them engaged with a learning platform you could give them giving them a bespoke training and so on and so forth so we're here we're at your service um and yeah it's been an amazing experience so far jayid mashallah so how can how can our our ulama yeah, you know benefit from what uh, the sapiens institute has to offer is it all online and uh, and you mentioned it's free right is there a formal program of registration and you take a couple of courses and you you receive certain you know levels of uh, progress from one stage to the other yes so at the moment we have a online learning platform and at the moment we don't have a pedagogical structure so you could access any of the the in-depth courses concerning atheism or lgbtq plus or islamic civilization islamic history christology advanced dawa dealing with shubhat the londonia program mm-hmm. so we are working towards making a more pedagog- pedagogically robust so there was a meeting in spain with sheikh fahad tasnim who's our american researcher and leads sapiens america mm-hmm. and with sheikh mohammed idrisi and dr usman latif start thinking about how can we structure this in a way that has a pedagogical robustness so at the moment it's still very good and accessible mm-hmm. mm. but we have another 8 or 9 courses coming out so we may have like 21 courses that are very they're brilliant like if you if you engage with them you, this is yeah. probably what you need to know yeah. you know to engage with some academic intellectual will start your journey as well you could do your own research take the references do your own reading as well it has multiple choice questions you can download the slides mm. it is designed for you to get the best out of it right mm. um but you know we want to be a progressive organization i don't yeah. mean that liberally progressive <laughs> it's I, mean, a dangerous like, word. Yeah, I, i i mean ihsan <laughs> always yeah. asked the question what did we do what did we not do that could have improved this much more mm-hmm. and that's I, i always we always want to have that kind of uh, uh positive progression and that's why we we're going to repeat some courses so the course that we did concerning advanced hour and no doubt was on about three years ago now mm. we we're going to re, we're going to re-record it mm-hmm. mm. Yes, it's time consuming and it's draining, but this is who we are. We, you have to have a principle of excellence, mm. yeah? And you see this in people's progression, hopefully mine and Ustad Hijabs and many other duat. If you see them 10 years ago, you're like, okay, they're very different to what they are now. Mm. And that is a very important aspect to have. Like you have individual conscientiousness, but you have to have collective and organizational yeah. conscientiousness. Mm. So you're not stagnated, you're always improving and moving forward. So the ulama could access and the imams and the students can access on any platform but we could also provide something that is bespoke. And we do that a lot. Like we had a bespoke a short program in in Pretoria, right? Uh and we do this all around the world. In Pakistan we're going to have a bespoke program concerning some of these trends as well for the students. So it's not just online because we realize and I've realized this as well personally that engaging with people directly it has it's just there's a different there's a different feel there's mm. a different mm-hmm. um it's far more productive i think for their yeah. learning and their progress so we're at your service you go to our website you want to request something just like the way this was requested and it happened alhamdulillah mm. so um there's much more that we need to do um and hopefully with your support and your duas we'll be able to achieve that but in terms of what we can say to you as an organization mm-hmm. we're here for you Mm-hmm. We have good great team members that are able like for example I think half of the team were in Spain just a few days ago. Yeah. We had this immersive knowledge retreat Mashallah. dealing with 
the characteristics of the du'at, how to deal with shubuhat, mm-hmm. how to deal with the LGBTQ plus ideology and all of that stuff. And they were doing something for people who attended, mm. right, in, in Granada Mosque. So half the team or some of the teams in South Africa, the other team was in in uh, Spain doing yeah. these things to touch, move and imp- inspire people. So they were mm-hmm. able to share Islam academically and intellectually. And not only do, do we do it with individuals, but we also do it with organizations. So we have Lighthouse Mentoring Service and Lighthouse Mentoring Service is based on two main things. And we're going to expand it to new Muslims specifically as well. One aspect of Lighthouse Mentoring Service is that we deal with mentoring du'at, imams and mashayikh. Mm. So we give them an Allah-centric vision yeah. with a specific strategy so they can make a great impact in the da'wah. And we give them like around 12 principles of success in the da'wah derived from the Quran and Sunnah. Mm. The other aspect of Lighthouse Mentoring Service is giving people free one-hour, one-to-one sessions on how to on dealing with their shubuhat mm-hmm. if they've become non-Muslim. Like I was just dealing with one just yeah. before I came here. So this is the stuff that we do. And then we're going to open out as well. Me and Hijab had a conversation just a few days ago or last week on we need to focus on new Muslims as well concerning Lighthouse Mentoring yeah. Service because that one-to-one mentoring is kind of missing in the Western discourse. Yeah. Um, so, and that developed a bigger project which was called the visionaries Mm. and the visionaries was basically taking that first aspect of the mentoring and just giving it a global feel so we're in turkey we had people from i think around 14 countries du'at mashayikh leaders of organizations leaders of very popular um online organizations in the dawah and youtube and we sat with them to give them an allah-centric vision Akhira-centric mm-hmm. vision connected to the Islamic concept of success with a specific strategy to achieve that. And we give them principles of how to um, achieve that success. Principles from the Quran and the Sunnah yeah. concerning you know, courage, hikmah, ilm, forbearance, and all of these things. Mm. And giving them the realization that the vision, the vision is bigger than the organization and the organization is bigger than the individual yeah. so they have this kind of you know focusing on the pleasure of allah rather than just like what, what we think we can gain from it as individuals or organizations because sometimes i see in the dawah you organize it, there's a conflation between the brand and the organization and the dawah itself they're mm. two different things and you have to stand in the possibility there's always going to be a conflict of interest so it could be that stopping your organization is the best thing for the dawah and are you going to do it if that was the case Mm-hmm. Or changing your strategy Or joining with other individuals Imams, mashayikh and organizations To achieve an Allah-centric yeah. goal yeah. You need to be able to put your ego But in we're not like that though yeah. We're like, oh no, this is What am I going to gain? I'm going to yeah, yeah. reinvent the wheel And yeah. I'm going to, you know Prevent people from getting money here It's not my brand And this and the other And that's why when I sat down with Sheikh uh, Fadl Suleiman He said something to me that actually quite changed me mm. He was like You know you know, isn't Allah the one who's the source of all? Is this Fadil Sunan from uh, Bridges Foundation? Yes, yeah, yes. I did he, a dawah course. Yeah, with yeah him. he's brilliant. He's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. very good. He has some very very interesting insights. No, no. So I had uh, went to his house once, and uh, he's a very good cook as well. Oh, he sure. cooked uh, <laughs> lamb chops, like really nice lamb chops, bro. <laughs> it's actually really nice. So he sat me down. He was in the IR office at the time, and he said, "You know, is Allah the source of provision?" Can you limit Allah's bounty? And he was saying, when you prevent an, a, a good organization or individual from trying to achieve an Allah-centric objective, and you're trying to create structures and a psychology and environment in place to stop them from fundraising and mm. for you to gain it and not them, 
what are you basically saying about Allah's bounty? That's yes, not enough for everybody. Yes, mm-hmm. That really affected me, yeah. Mm. And to to the point where I had to like almost lie to myself because my nafs is saying, no, I need to be successful with this organization, get as much as money as possible. It's all about us. So yeah. you, you just have to train yourself. You have to jump outside of yourself and say, no, Hamza, I need to mentor you. So I will get our fundraising manager to train people mm-hmm. or to help people who are so-called competitors yeah. in order to gain lots of money. Wallahi, that gave us barakah. In the long term, I believe that they gave us barakah. Because we, we, we import a corporate system yeah. into the dawah. And I've seen it. It, it, it destroys the barakah of the organization and the culture and the brotherhood. And they yeah. become people of no honor almost. Ajim. It's yeah. all about the numbers, which is fine. We have to chase the numbers, but it has to be linked to the Allah-centric context, right? Yeah. And that's why I'm really happy. I think as a team, we kind of have that mindset as well. We help lots of people. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, even people are really, really busy. I remember Hijab was was helping this guy. I actually almost gave up on the guy. And Hijab was like, no, we need to help him and solve this yeah. issue. And so we have that ethic. Yeah. Inshallah. Yeah. And if we don't, we'll try and build that ethic because mm. it's for the long term, that's where the barakah is going to yeah. be. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and I yeah. think that's critical. The point that you've just, you've just raised the issue of mentorship, because that's really what I wanted to discuss with both of you. You know, I, we always speak about the crisis of knowledge and, you know, the crisis of not of, of, of ignorance within our communities, but we don't focus on the crisis of mentorship, that there's a gap between the senior generation and the current generation. And alhamdulillah, it seems that with your organization and with your efforts over the past decade, a lot of young individuals feel that they can connect at least to the next generation of Muslim scholars or Muslim da'is and so forth. I remember when we were studying at the, the, the Darul Ulum in Strand, we had the fortunate benefit of having our teacher, our late teacher, Mufti Taha Karan. I'm not sure if you, if, if you met him on your previous visit. And he was just a genius. He was a Bahar in terms of his knowledge, not only in the traditional sciences, but in the philosophical and Western sciences mm. as well, if you want to call it that. And... For us, what was uh, so beneficial was that whilst we were studying traditional studies, he would also guide us in terms of being able to navigate philosophy and sociology and so forth. And I find many young scholars today don't necessarily have that mentorship in terms of when should they enter that field of going to university and taking these courses head on. So it feels and it seems that Sapiens Institute sort of gives students and scholars that guidance in terms of book recommendations and who to follow, who to read articles and when they would be ready in order to perhaps study a BA or to do a master's. Yeah, I want Hijab to come into this because I think yeah. his story about how the Londoner was formed mm-hmm. as well is actually quite a moving story. And the whole Londoner, how it is developed and the scholarly backing yeah. and the kind of explanation of the Londoner and what we're going to do with it in the future as well. I think this is a great example of what you're just saying. So... Tell them about your near-death experience, bro. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> some time ago, I had um, something called pulmonary embolism. I'm mm. not sure if you, or you're going to know this. You're a doctor. Um, so I had pulmonary embolism. And, um, uh, you know, they were telling me, you know, it was more than one. There was many emboli in both yeah. lungs and stuff like that. And it was difficult for the, it wasn't being alleviated quickly. So I was always, I was hospitalized for some time, taking blood thinners and these kind of things. But it made me really think about death. Because, I mean, if you, if you research pulmonary embolism, it's a, it's a life-threatening disease. Yeah. It could actually kill you. And one of the signs of the Day of Judgment, actually, is in Motul Fajr, mm-hmm. uh, um, sudden death. Mm. Yeah. 
Uh, and this uh, disease, interestingly, affects young people. It can kill them. I mean, yep. I've seen, I've, I've read some statistics, uh, people in their 20s and 30s and stuff like that being killed by, for example, pulmonary embolism uh, straight away. So it really did make me think, I, I already have um, a tumor in my brain uh, from, from when I was younger, a small tumor, and they always monitor to, uh, to see, to do like CAT scans and MRIs, yeah, yeah. it's getting bigger and stuff like that. Um, Get, you know, some have thought, um, maybe I've talked to you guys in neuroscience, ha have thought that this is linked to, um, it links to some of the headaches I, I, yeah. I guess, severe headaches, you know, really bad. Some doctors have uh, prescribed, um, yeah, I'm not sure if you've heard of amitriptyline. Yeah, 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 triptyline, yeah. Yeah, which is, I took it for some time, but anyway, it was, it wasn't yeah. a, um, it wasn't, a, it was ineffectual to, for me anyway, it didn't yeah. do anything, it was like, uh, but anyway, the point is, is, I used to suffer from these headaches, and so I've had more than one disease that has given me the feeling of okay, impending mortality. Mm -hmm. I do. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I, yeah. so I've always felt like I need to okay do these things before. What do I need to get done? What do I, what loose ends do I need to tie up before I die? Um, and so, Alhamdulillah, uh, yeah, because I I ask myself a very important question, which is that let's say I do die, what have I actually left behind? Mm. You know, a few debates here and there, that's good, but it's not an organized way of people actually learning, you know, what needs to be learned. No. So I ask myself a fundamental question is what what can I as Muhammad Hijab, what can I offer that majority of people will not be able to offer? The answer is not Islamic knowledge. Because Islamic knowledge is so prevalent in the Muslim world, the scholars that have been fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty years just studying one branch of Islamic knowledge yeah. and specializing in one sub-branch of Islamic knowledge and leaving behind the legacy in that regard. For me, the answer was very straightforward, it was um, mostly uh, to do with ideology, political philosophy, yeah. atheism, and these kinds of things. And, um, and mixing that with Islamic knowledge. I think that careful blend, uh, the way that it's done in the Sapiens Institute, I don't think there are many parts of the world Mm -hmm. that can match that actually yeah um, in terms of it, just the shared experiences of 10s 15 20 years each person doing similar stuff but mixing sp like if you want specific ingredients together like that particular blend you will not find anywhere i don't think any knowledge production matches it anywhere in the world uh, you know so i thought that's where that's where it's going to be that's what it is going to be and uh, so i thought let's look at what are the ideologies uh, that are most demographically relevant and which are most pernicious and encroaching mm -hmm. on the Muslim community. And so obviously I arranged it in a certain manner and um, I had studied, you know, Arabic poetry. It's like very basic, you know. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to make it accessible for, uh, you know, the, 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 the ulama and the, the students of knowledge, talabut al-ilm and so on. Mm -hmm. So I tried to put it into a poetry, an Arabic poetry format. And so I sent it to a few people. I said, be brutally honest. I said, listen, let me be brutally honest. This doesn't cut it uh, in terms of the expectation. So we had a sheikh called Sheikh uh, Ali Al-Khudaymi. Actually, he's a Shafi who's based in Indonesia. Mm. And he, uh, he, you know, I, I told him all the content that we want to cover, basically. And this is what the arguments we want to make. Uh, effectively taking him through the entire London area, right? Uh, and he 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 created because he's a specialist in Arabic language mm -hmm. and poetry. He created a metan. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you've actually seen the. It's, it's, there's an Arabic metan, mm -hmm. okay, mm. of a London area, which is 
fantastically written, mawzoon uh, properly. It's one yeah. of the one of the correct uh, morphological or awzan and Mashallah. all these kind of things. There. So he versified, versified it yeah. Yeah, exactly, and so then we we started recording and we started. I recorded in English and in Arabic. Mm-hmm. I tried my best to cover everything in Arabic. Uh, it was very, very taxing, frankly, because everything that we did in English spent like two, three hours, and we have a focus group. Okay, and then I had to do the same thing with the same cameraman. Okay, let's have a five-minute rest and go and do the whole thing in Arabic again. And I'm trying to translate all these deontological ethics yeah. in, in the Arabic language, like al-akhlaqiyat al deontology. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm thinking this is not easy. So, but it, but actually that process that process allowed me to now go to the Arab market <laughs> honestly and and use the same terminologies uh, and actually affect the Arab market in a very significant manner mm. uh, because for example I w- had one interview in um, uh, with a, with a thing called Samani I'm not sure if you've seen it or heard of it it got like three two something two and a half million views right and it's the biggest channel in Saudi Arabia and the Khalij mm-hmm. and I was breaking it down had I not had that training of Translating all that stuff, I wouldn't have been able to, to communicate with him. This I would have had to make it a, an English interview or something. So it's it's really helped me. Uh, it's really helped me, and and I think it's left something behind. So yeah. now I'm thinking again. Look, you could still die. London is not enough, and um, you need to go further. And I, I don't know what it is. It's just this, you know, there's an impetus, and there's a yeah. real feeling. There's a real vibrant feeling in the in the Sapiens Institute of let's really get things done. You know. It's a self-winding machine. It doesn't mm-hmm. require motiv- we don't require motivation. Mm. The motivation we have is the ailments in our bodies and the threat of death and the competitors that we have. Like that's enough of a motivation. So we're yeah. moving. We're moving quickly. We're moving forward. And our focus group has nearly finished three years. I mean, this year after we've done one more year of uh, of the sira, intellectual sira, which mm-hmm. is the next, which is the next thing we're, we're preparing for. It will be three years that would have done lots of things like shubuhat, uh, propositional logic. The London, the ideologies, uh, they would have done um, so much discussion, so much debate, uh, scientific, how do you deal with the scientific miracles mm, aspect, mm, mm. so much production. So I, I feel like the, the trajectory of the Sapiens Institute is well and truly uh, in, a, in a good way. It's really mm. good. And the Londonia is going to continue because we're getting someone, we started this already, to actually create, like, so you have the Arabic poem, you yeah. have it in English, then you have the Arabic commentary, and the English commentary. Yeah, so it's going to be done as a from a ghostwriter mm. point of view. All the content's there. Bit of improvement, references here and there. And hopefully, we're planning maybe in the next year, we'll have two books. Like, you know, you have mm-hmm. Aqidat Hawiya. You yeah, have yeah, different yeah, commentaries. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what it's going to be. And that is going to be proper knowledge production. And I yes. think Hijab is maybe basically understanding himself a little bit because this had a buy-in of a collective scholarly group, right? Oh, yes. Uh, this yeah. has been... Uh, this has been uh, given Tazkiyah of the Rabat al-Islamiyyah. Okay. Yeah, and they've, they've given it Tazkiyah and stuff like that. It's people of all... What's interesting about this is that people of all creedal schools of thought mm. are buying it. And that's this. important, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. I mean, I find that uh, very surprising that we get ulama, like senior Salafi ulama yeah. from Saudi Arabia mm. and from uh, Kuwait and from that. They are using this information. Mm. And then you have like Ash'ari, Maturidi, yeah. uh, Diobandi. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're using this information. And to the point where even some Shiites want <laughs> to use it. But then they are put off because there's one chapter against Shiaism. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so a lot of them, they'll use the other chapters, but that, that's, they won't use that one. 
Um, yeah, there's an attack on Shiism on, in, in London no. itself, and there's an attack on uh, on Ahmadiyya and yeah, these yeah, kind of, of things yeah, as yeah. well. So I'm not sure if you see. It. But the, the the point is, is that it's it's meant to what this is is it's meant to be in in um, in in medic- medicinal terms or medical terms. It's meant to be the ultimate inoculation, mm. the Mashallah. ideological inoculation, the yeah. vaccination, uh, to provide intellectual and spiritual antibodies yeah. for human beings from the contagion, which is the liberal ideologies the pathogens, and yeah. uh, or pathogens Allah uh, in, the, in the world today. Mm-hmm. And I think that if Muslims don't consume it, there is obviously a huge threat of infection wouldn't you yeah. agree doctor i mean i mean there's a huge threat of infection so this vaccination wouldn't have the side effect all the conspiracy theories that go along with it <laughs> you know what's really good if you go on yeah. the learning platform there's a summary video and on the learning so you could access all the videos on, on our youtube channel but the learning platform you could go through the exam mm-hmm. And you, if you pass over six to sixty-five percent, then you get a certificate. So you also have a multiple choice questions to help you internalize what you learn, and it's mm-hmm. it's quite lengthy. So this was an amazing project, and, and uh, it's free of charge. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. A, that's the thing we didn't mention that. I mean, yeah. we're trying to offer this free. This is a free vaccination. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but what but what needs to be noted as well is that Hijab is doing his PhD on the contingency argument, right? Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. So I'm doing my PhD on the Quran, uh, referring to natural phenomena and the intersection between philosophy of science and all of these other things. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be knowledge production. So in a year and a half, we should be both finished. This feeds in here. This would be sure. the basis for new courses, new yeah. material, new books. So everything we do is aligned to that, and we have that motivation. So, I mean, we're in actual fact, we're actually a really small team. Uh, one would argue with the funds that we get and the number of people that we have. Um, it's, it's disproportionate. It is yeah, disproportionate, yeah. but I think there is an element as well when teams are slightly smaller, they mm-hmm. get more done because when you're a bigger team, you have more structures, that's what, that's more exactly hierarchy. That's what barakah is though, isn't yes. it? Exactly. I think that's, we've been, alhamdulillah, that's all from Allah. That uh, absolutely. Barakah is when you get a lot from a little, effectively. Yeah, yeah. No. No. It's sustainability. One plus one is equal to five. Yeah. yeah. So this okay. is accessible on YouTube and yes. on Sapiens Institute, yeah? Yeah, Just so for it's, the listeners it's the Sapiens the Institute channel. Yeah. If you want to take the exam, they go to Londonia, they'll watch the summary video, okay. and then they'll access the multiple choice questions and they get the certificate if they pass, I think, over 60 or 65%. Okay, alhamdulillah. And they could access all the other great courses that are there on atheism, on dawah, on shubuhat. Mm-hmm. You know what's really interesting, what I found about Sapiens Institute? And, and top, top guys like uh, Carl Sharif, the yes, LGBT. LGBT. That's coming he's out got a next lot week, of, hopefully. Dr. Carl Sharif, he's a fantastic. Uh, academic and scholar he's written really top notch you know academic papers which have been published in mm-hmm. various peer reviewed journals yes. yeah. same with um, Dr. Uthman uh, Latif Uthman Latif uh, Dr. Uthman Latif has written, <laughs> I don't know how many publications he's actually got in Brill and yeah, Springer, Cambridge, Springer, Springer as well, yeah. Cambridge University Press as I well. think so yeah He's so, actually a really good academic. So I mean, the, the thing is, it has an it has a really good academic edge. I mean, yeah. uh, when you have people like this who are quite senior, actually, like um, in one team, and they're all sharing experiences like that, it's it produces it produces some good results. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about our work is that people who have other institutions and are leaders in the DAWA actually access our work for learning mm-hmm. on the learning platform. Yeah. I had one, I don't want to mention his name, but very, very popular, probably one of the most popular du'at on, on the planet. Sure. He was going through the London year. Mashallah. <laughs> he was going yeah. the, and you have actually, you'll have like peak students of knowledge. So and, people are benefiting and that's great. Yeah, and I think, oh, this is all from a lot, of course, yeah. but I think it's also because there's been an ethic within the team, not only in the team, but individuals 
prior like hijab was an individual prior to the team i was mm-hmm. other people was if you look at some of the life patterns right there's this sense of all right you failed here you made a mistake here mm-hmm. i'm going to keep on progressing keep yeah. on learning this sense of collective and individual conscientiousness is extremely important yes. because it means your trajectory is going to be like this even mm-hmm. if you if you dip a little bit you keep keep on moving yeah. forward and i think we also do a lot of shura a lot of consultation mm-hmm. with amongst ourselves and with scholars and students of knowledge and this is very very important because mm-hmm. i have a general f- f- thinking that if you if you're in the dawa on a significant level you don't have that someone above you or yeah. connected to an organization or a shura group you shouldn't be really trusted mm. and so for many of the things that we've done there's been lots of consultation like even months of consultation nice. yes um you know whether it was the jordan peterson discussion or ian hersey ali or other yeah. things that we've been doing continuous continuous and there's a lot of behind the scenes work like a lot of duaat that you see that are very very popular we've trained privately we've mm-hmm. helped them we've given them insights we go through this journey with them because it's not about okay this is sapiens this is our brand mm. that's almost insignificant yeah. to a certain degree um but it's also about providing that kind of behind the scenes engine so they could basically yes. be developed yeah so this is all from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in actual fact to be honest iman is a gift right yeah It's an undeserved gift. Absolutely. And when Allah says to the Prophet Sallam in chapter 49 verse 17 about the Arabs who felt that their Islam was a favor to Prophet Sallam. And mm, Allah says absolutely. say to them that this is a favor unto you. Yeah. So if iman, if Islam, our Islam is a favor, is a gift. What about calling other people to iman? Do you see my point? It's not some kind of privilege. It's all like, mm. you know, I deserve this. No, it's like this is a huge gift. Mm. And if we frame it that way all the time, it will give us that motivation and i think me and hijab had this discussion a few weeks ago about what drives he was in the car i think in spain <laughs> yeah we had this discussion of um one thing that is painful is unexplored potential mm. yeah subhanallah like if you know that for me is quite painful you just yeah. you just haven't cut it yet yeah like you, you know in, in every phase of your life depending mm. yeah. irrespective of age there's a current potential that you have yeah not fulfilling it to the best of your ability is actually one of the most painful mm, things that you can yeah, imagine for least painful yeah. maybe i don't Absolutely. know maybe it comes from a state of ego i don't know where it's coming from but it's a thing mm-hmm. and i think a lot of duaat have this as well mm. yeah. yeah so make dua for us no, we make a lot of mistakes as well accept, by the way we need accept. a lot of du- uh, lot of uh, the community support and stuff it's inspirational it's uh, it's a fantastic work and we pray that allah guides and benefits and uh, causes others to you know become inspired and also contribute But yeah. you know what's more inspirational is the ulama in South Africa. Mashallah. Like you know teaching for hours continuously like the six books of hadith yeah. over and over and over again sometimes into the middle of the night mm-hmm. repetitively. Like you could do it once as a student khalas you're done. But they're doing this over over decades ensuring yeah. the institutions are in place. You imagine the amount of ikhlas you have to have. Mm. You may not even get praised, you may not even get thanked, you may not even have any yeah. kind of financial benefits or social benefits. You're just there grinding decades building institutions seeing a vision for the community making sure that this is much bigger than mm. you that mm-hmm. is an inspiration mm. really i mean mm. no, subhanallah one of the one of the reasons that our teacher the late uh, mufti taha karan rahimahullah ta'ala his his perspective on why islam is doing so well in the south african community is because of the uh, the ihtimam that our pioneers the ulama that they specifically had for ilm like uh, beyond everything else they made sure that they established institutions of learning even before they were they were established masajid they had circles of knowledge they were writing they were they were transcribing the mushaf from memory you know uh-huh. the preservation of knowledge was like of top priority to them 
So uh, may this be a step in, in, in that direction, you know, in terms of the preservation of knowledge and the spirit of knowledge, may Allah accept. Um, I would Amen. like to ask, we had some very uh, beneficial and serious discussions, especially around the Institute, which I'm really happy for because it's one thing, you know, to be inspired by a public lecture, but this is taking it the next step and actually taking from the structured knowledge, as Muhammad Hijab was saying, it's not just about uh, a random talk or debate or so forth here and there. This is more structured. It's being able to tap into uh, the challenges of our time and being able to respond to it in a coherent manner, in a manner that's both academically sound as well as traditionally sound, which is fantastic. I'd like to ask uh, two light-hearted questions before before we depart today. Muhammad Hijab had uh, some very interesting debates and public lectures and experiences over the over the years. But what were some of the most impactful, uh, if not, um, you know, nurturing moments that made you who you are today in terms of your, you know, your discussion and dialogue with these matters? Um, I, I don't know how to answer that because I don't, um, I think the David Wood debate really showed mm. people a different side of me because mm-hmm. I, th- I feel like in 2017, when I came on the scene, right? I, I started YouTube when I was 23 years old. No. I'm 31 years old now. Okay, Mashallah. so I was 23 years old and I started doing the Arabic alphabet. That was my; These are my first videos um, that I'd done. And I wanted, I had an idea of getting into that one to do stuff like talk about the discussions and the narratives and all that. But I wanted to start with just teaching people the very bare basics of the Arabic language that can read the Quran. Because I was inspired by you know these hadiths that say, you know, uh, if you read Al Mahr al Quran, Al Safarati al Kiram al Barara, wa Ladi Ajran, like the one who is proficient with the Quran and uh, is with the high and lofty angels, and the one who struggles with it, he gets two rewards. And I thought, okay, this is an easy way to get rewards. Why not just start doing the Arabic alphabet? What have I got to lose? And we were in a beautiful mountainous range in. Uh, uh, in in Norway at the time, and I thought just bring the the phone out and just do it. But then well, we started going to speakers' corner, and then I started speaking to people, um, and people had the wrong idea of who I was. I was very patient, when, mm-hmm. like I was calm. I wasn't getting angry, um, <laughs> thing like that. And then people say, "Oh, this guy." This, I started to develop a reputation for forbearance and mm. patience and. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, I don't know. I actually felt like a fraud <laughs> because the thing, and people would, would actually ask the question, like, how do you maintain your composure when you, because you have very antagonistic figures. No. Hatun and this one and that yeah. one, Jay Smith, uh, one, this one's going to say bad things about the prophet. This one's going to say bad things about Islam. This one's humiliating me. This one's saying bad words and I'm, I'm taking it on the chin and then responding in kind. And the question was, how can you, you know, remain patient? And in my mind, I was always thinking, well, it wasn't hard to remain patient because, you know, half a million people are watching. One of my videos at that time reached a million views. If you know half a million or a third of a million or 300,000 people are watching a video, uh, you've got so many eyeballs on you. What kind of fool would be irascible and Mm -hmm. uh, uh, uncontrollable in a situation like that? So it wasn't difficult. Before I used to be, I got married at the age of 20. And I used to think to myself, you know, that me being at home and coping with, you know, the marital discords, you know, having an argument with your wife and this kind of, which everyone does have, that this is a good training for the dawah. 
the more I realize, the more I do the dawah, I realize actually the dawah is a good training for that. Because actually this one's much harder. Yes, I know. For someone that is closer to you and there's no one around to assess your most, I can guarantee you 100% going to speaker's corner where you know 100,000 people are going to watch your reactions. You're in public. You're dressed up. You're, you're, you're trying to represent a religion. And you're speaking to a, a cantankerous or a rambunctious individual. Mm-hmm. That's much easier to control yourself than if a, a close person to you is uh, winding you up in a place where you could uh, effectively swear at them, shout at them, even physically crush them. Uh, I mean, but you have to. Obviously, you wouldn't do any of that stuff. I'm <laughs> saying, but you, you, it could. It's a possibility. Like no. you could do all these things, and you have to control all of those impulses. So I think that. The Quran says, yeah, no, the, the, the ones who are closest together, those are the ones who, you know, they rebel against each other. Uh, that we have made each, each of you fitna for each other. No. Like, you know, the, the point is, is that there's a reason why the Prophet said, khayrukum, khayrukum li ahli. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For example, the best mm-hmm. of you are the best of your family. Because the, mm-hmm. the test is that your family, it's not mm-hmm. in the person. So, anyway, I developed a wrong reputation, a false one. Because my nature is, I've got a bit of a hot blooded nature. I've always had it. Like when I was 17 years old, 16 years old, you know, I, I, I had a humorous side and I had a fiery side. And they didn't see that. So, I felt like they just didn't know who I was. The mm-hmm. public didn't know the true me. 2018, David Wood came out and I just, some something out about me came out, which the public didn't see. And to my amazement almost, the public, well, a part of them were put off by it. Say, this guy's a bit arrogant, this guy's a bit obnoxious. and But really, a lot of them were impressed by it. Mm-hmm. Because it, it represents a lot of what they want mm-hmm. to do, which is put the middle finger to the enemy. Mm. And they compared it with other debates where, you know, people were being too civil to uncivil people. And uh, I think then, okay, this is what, and then I, in my mind, I said, this is who I am. If people don't like it, they say, yeah, I need the Sahaba had different temperaments. Mm-hmm. The, the scholars of Islam had different temperaments and the Du'at will have different mm-hmm. temperaments. No. Some people are not going to like this, but this is who I am. So I felt in 2018, it's not like I, I wasn't a fraud anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay, who I really was, the showman came out, the funny man came out, the fiery man came out. Almost the violent man came out as well, I, 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 if, in, in as much as it could do uh, in a legal way. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and so this is a mixture of, who, so in 2018, yes, some people were put, put off and said, this, is, this guy's a narcissist. I mean, even I look at myself and I think this guy's a pure narcissist about myself. <laughs> uh, this guy, look at him. I mean, what is this anyway? But then some other will say, actually, you know, th- this is... It might be a bit of algebra narcissism in there, but also he represents a sentiment which I feel, mm. which is that the enemies are attacking us and we, we need to respond. Mm. So that's when they knew me and I knew them. No, then, then. No. And I feel like, I, by the way, I feel like I know the people that follow us. I feel, I feel like I know my followers. I feel like I know Sapiens followers. I feel like we have a symbiotic, a reciprocal relationship. Mm. I think I, like if I see someone who, who follows my work, I kind of know what their views are going to be. Mm. Mm. If it's a male or a female, I kind of know where they're going to be on issues. We can sit on the dinner table and we can assume the same moralities. We're on the same wavelength. Mm. So we're all a big family now. We all know each other. It's like, you know, when someone first gets married and, then, you know, like the husband and the wife, they have to put up a show and then afterwards, like after two or three weeks or two or mm-hmm. three months, okay, kind of not, the weaknesses start to appear. No. I'm happy that my weaknesses appear, appear to the people because 
if they didn't, then I would be. I don't want to have that imposter mm. syndrome or yeah. whatever. Like, do you know what I'm trying to say? I do. So that's what it is. I think that it's not that you know I I rediscovered something. No, it's just that I I showed the public what I was about, mm. and a lot of them accepted that, mm. and that makes it acceptable to me because I I I think there's less chance of a scandal happening. If, if for example, it's ever found out X and Y Z happened, Muhammad Hajab where he. You know, had a brawl in the streets. Uh, as I said, okay, we kind of knew that he was a bit. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm not saying I would do this. Only one. <laughs> do you know? Do you know what I mean? If, found out that oh, he has had so many wives. No, I'm yeah. only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that one, don't worry about. But I'm just saying, like, if if people found things out about me, I mean, it's yeah. like okay, we kind of know his personality. They know who I am, and mm. a lot of people have this fake, inauthentic. Yeah. So then when something comes out, it's like, it's a shock. Mm. If a scandal comes out, it's like, oh my God. Like the, what you presented to the public is this uh, angel. Mm -hmm. you've, you've, you presented yourself as a perfect man. Mm. But then, oh, wait a minute, you, you get angry as well. You get, you get jealous as well. You say bad words as well. You swear. Mm. Mm. You do all this. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've done all that stuff as well. So uh, what I'm saying is, um, yes, I, I feel like there's an authentic relationship between me and the sapiens followers, me and my own followers, me and, and, and the public, the Muslim public, and even the non-Muslim public. Mm. And so it's it's not like something I discovered about myself. It's just that. It's just that I feel like now there's authenticity on both sides. Mm. Yeah, I, I, like I commented on hijab's popularity and one of the thing, the insightful things that I think uh, is quite true is that was the word, authentic. Mm -hmm. Because there are many du'a, especially in our time, especially for young men, mm. when they look at them like, I, I can't connect with this person. Mm -hmm. it looks, this guy looks like he came from the heavens. He's mm -hmm. an angel. He doesn't... Mm. He doesn't go to the toilet. He doesn't swear. He doesn't have any anger. Mm. Like it's almost an impossible way of being. Mm -hmm. So you can't connect with people. And even in politics, Bush was actually not an idiot person. Mm -hmm. George Bush. He was mm -hmm. actually smart. Yeah. But he he kind of acted like an idiot because people wanted to see themselves in him. Mm -hmm. Even the buffoon. Boris Johnson. Yeah. Boris Johnson. Yeah. The, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the buffoon. <laughs> they, there was a, there was like a young lady saying, "I see myself in him. He makes yeah. mistakes. Is this that and the other?" Now, obviously, you do it with a sense of progression that you mm. want to be the best version of yourself. And I think we've seen that with every yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, person, uh, right? Mm. With the du'at. Um, and that uh, shows conscientiousness. So I think people love hijab because of his authenticity. Yeah, and sure. that is very hard to do <coughs> because you always want to try and be someone else that you're not. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is one of the key to engaging, especially with uh, young men. Mm -hmm. yeah. sure. And what I mean by young men is like 18 to 35. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that is something that is, to be honest, a kind of gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you get in the da'wah seeing this kind of self-righteous adab qadin, qadin, yeah. yeah? Mm. The, the adab merchants, yeah? Mm -hmm. But I think when you study the way the Prophet <laughs> dealt with different sahaba, mm -hmm. you would see that is actually the approach we should take because the Prophet actually optimized the particular person in the particular context. Yeah. No. You'd have some sahaba would hit other sahaba, yes or yeah, no? Yeah. There wasn't this adab card, oh, how dare you do this? Who are you? I'm not going to forgive you on the day of judgment. This kind of feminine aspect of relationships with, you know, some men become very feminine. Like, oh my God, how dare you? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. come on, be a man about these things, right? Yeah. So this kind of organic, real, honorable, yeah. honorable brotherhood, this is very important. Mm. And sometimes we miss that in the Tao. We like, how dare you say this? Well, have you studied some of the Sahaba? 
Have you studied the way the Prophet related to them in a way to optimize them? Mm-hmm. And we're missing that collectively, I think. We expect yeah. like everyone's going to be an angel. They came from the heavens. Mm-hmm. And they're going to give you, you know. So, yeah, yeah that's a, it's very inspirational, to be honest. MashaAllah. Jazakumullah khairan to the brothers, to our guests, Muhammad Hijab, Hamza Tortis. It was an absolute privilege and pleasure to have you guys with us. And we hope to take much more benefit from you. I've been alerted to the fact that, hey, they're waiting for you guys at the next program. Excellent. Jazakallah <laughs> khair. Doctor, uh, thank you also for joining us. Allah bless you. Uh, until next time, inshallah. Akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.